0: Thank you, worship team. We appreciate you all very much. Hey, before I begin my message, I want to make an announcement on where we're going to meet next Sunday. I know I asked you last week and told you that Grand Valley is closer campus downtown to us until July 26. So it gives a lot of questions. What do we do for the next few weeks? So we thought let's continue to have our online presence for people that want to stay at home and you can watch the video each Sunday. Or if people wanna to meet together, I'm looking to find a location that we could gather on Sunday morning. We could be outside on a nice lawn with nice shade and we could distance ourselves as much as we want or come together as much as we want. So hopefully by next Sunday, we will have secured a location, an alternative location to meet. So look for an announcement this week. To see what we can do but again we'll always have the video available but we want to have an, an option of meeting together outside if that works for some of you or some of you are interested in that so today we are going back to our our sermon series we've been talking about uh, the various questions that god asks throughout the bible and last week and this week, we're, we're in the book of Haggai. Haggai's two short books of the Bible, and there's two questions that God asks the Israelites. In both of those questions, God's saying to the Israelites, why are you not building the temple? As you might recall, that the Israelites were in captivity in Babylon for 70 years, and while they were there, they wanted to get back to Jerusalem to repair the temple. God got them back there. They started on the temple, but they got discouraged by their enemies, and they stopped. So God raises up the prophet Haggai to remind the people that you need to rebuild the temple. And see, that's a significant message in the Old Testament because the the temple represents God's dwelling place on earth. The temple represents God's grace and His love and forgiveness and acceptance and, and restoration of people. And the temple represents the way that the other people would know about God by looking at the temple and how the Israelites related to the temple. So the temple is a, is a picture of God's relationship with his people. So God is saying to those you have to build that temple. And see, God is, it's another way of saying to you that God is for us in the New Testament believers, that the temple of God now lives inside of us. Because the temple of God is inside of us, it represents God on earth. And we as image bearers of God, we are God's representation on earth and we demonstrate God's grace and his love and power. So we know that this book is so important to remind us to work on our relationship with God. But as we know, we know what life is like. Sometimes we have God first and we seem like our our relationship with God is going really well. And for some reason or another, it could be like the Israelites, you get discouraged and suddenly you look at your life and God's not the first priority in your and so God raises up prophets to remind people to continue to put God first in your life. And that's where Haggai comes in, to remind the Israelites. And see, we live in a culture right now that is getting really good at not making God a priority in your life. Many people outside of the church have not, have, have openly rejected God. It's interesting when you look at our culture, so many people on it, we live now in what's called the post-Christian culture, where many people in our culture do not even appreciate or value the contributions of Christianity to the world. Mark Sayers, a pastor from Australia and Australia in a, pop, a popular cultural commentator, has this famous quote that she used in a lot of churches that in our society today, we want the kingdom the values of the kingdom of God, but we don't want the king." We want to have some of the principles of the kingdom of God, but we don't want to be ruled by Jesus Christ. You see, in our culture today, a lot of people appreciate the values of the kingdom of God. They appreciate the social, political values of Jesus, of justice, and of grace, and of mercy, and about taking care of the poor and the marginalized. In a post-Christian culture, people value peace. They value taking care of Of widows and orphans they value taking care of of people that are are underprivileged they value ending racism they value ending homelessness they value ending uh, uh, abuse and they and then they have a high value to stop um, sex trafficking and other types of abuse So we see this popular rise of social justice in our culture by many people that say we want these values of the kingdom of God, but we don't necessarily want to follow the king. We don't necessarily want Jesus. Secularism goes so far as to say the world would be actually better if we could eliminate a lot of Christians. We could eliminate a lot of Christian teachings. See, a lot of people in a post-Christian culture don't seem to really understand that a lot of the values that they have, that they hold dear to them, are actually the same values that Jesus had and that Jesus teaches. So as Christians, as followers of Jesus, it is our duty and our responsibility and our blessing to show the world the values and the principles of Jesus. See, so many people in post-Christian culture, they want what is good in the world. They want good things. They want to end racism they want to end uh, injustice but they don't want the truth they have rejected the truth but they've embraced the good and that's where we come in as followers of Jesus and ambassadors of Jesus to show the world not only what is true but also what is good and so we're just watching we see we see how this uh, this this new philosophy that's happening in the West how it's penetrating more and more of culture and the best way to see its influence is to look at the emerging Generation Z. If you look at Generation Z and some of the research that's been done by the Barna Research Group, you'll find that only 24% of Generation Z actually believe, actually agree, well let me back up a minute. Generation Z is a generation that was born between 1995 and at least 2015. It's that, that group of young people. And Barnard Research has done a lot of research on this, this age group to find that the majority in this, this group actually don't even, be, will pretty much believe that what is morally right and what is wrong changes over a period of time. That what is right and what is wrong is kind of fluid and will change over time. And also his research shows that Generation Z believes that what is right is what doesn't hurt other people. So the definition of deciding what is right has gone away from biblical truth and it's just gone back to personal preferences and it shouldn't be a a surprise that the barnard research group shows that only four percent of generation z actually have a biblical worldview so what you're seeing with this new generation z is that you have this young generation that again they stand strong for social justice they want what is good in the world. They want to stop racism, and they want to stop injustice. But for the majority in Generation Z, they have don't have a biblical worldview. And they really don't even, they're not so much even rejecting God, they just really don't even know that God exists. And they really don't even know what the principles of God, of Jesus, really are. So we have an opportunity to present the gospel to this younger generation. But in Tim Keller's book, Making Sense, Tim Keller's book, Making Sense, he has this amazing quote that I think is very important for us to listen to. He says, in general, I'd say that the younger non-believers need to hear why Christianity makes emotional and cultural sense before they are willing to devote significant time to weighing the more traditional, rational arguments for our faith. In other words, what Tim Keller is saying is that we must present a picture of God by our actions before we follow up with our words. See, one of the things that this new emerging generation is very much against is inconsistencies. That this is a generation that is looking for authenticity. And this is a generation that will pick up on hypocrisy really, really fast. And this is a generation that's looking at Christians saying, if your actions and your words don't match up, We are going to reject what you are saying. So it's interesting that even Tim Keller in his writings talks about inconsistencies can turn a person away from the gospel. And that should be no surprise because we are called to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, we cannot have an inconsistent message. That our actions and our thoughts and our words and our deeds all have to line up. And I think what God is doing through us through this coronavirus and through this cultural tension that is going on right now is he's saying to us, I'm rooting out of you any, ing- any inconsistencies in your life. I think that might be a reason why God has kind of had us in this time out for three months. It's just what I'm thinking is to kind of root out inconsistencies in our life, to help us like the, help, help us like the Israelites when Haggai went to them and said, what is your priority? I think this time in seclusion has been to help us to to re-examine what is our priority and to root out of our life any injustice that might be going on. So I want to read, I want to go back to, I want to go to Haggai 2. And I'm going to read a few chapters of that and how that ties into our message. So, So Haggai chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. It says, Then on October 17 of that same year, the Lord sent another message through the prophet Haggai. Say this to Zerubbabel, son of shealtia governor of judah and to jeshua son of jehoshadak the high priest and the remnant of god's people here in the land does anybody remember this house this temple in its former splendor how in comparison does it look to you now it must seem like nothing at all but now the lord says be strong Zerubbabel. be strong jeshua son of jehoshadak the high priest be strong all you people still, in the left, still left in the land. And now get to work, for I am with you, says the Lord of heaven's army. My spirit remains among you, just as I promised when you came out of Egypt. So now do not be afraid. See, in verse three, God is saying to the Israelites again, he's saying, look, do any of you remember the temple before? Do you remember the temple before you went to Babylon? He's saying, now look at what you're doing now. He's saying there's no comparison. He's saying to the Israelites, the work that you're doing is nothing compared to where it needs to be. God's kind of encouraging them and saying, okay, this is a standard, and you're not meeting the standard. And you kind of look at you kind of you're kind of reading this, and you kind of wonder, wait a minute. In Haggai one, God, you corrected the Israelites. You already told them to repent for not building the temple, and the Israelites responded, and they repented, and they're working hard on the temple. Why are you coming in now in chapter two and kind of bringing up the same thing? Why are you bringing up the temple again? You think I thought they had enough repentance in chapter one, but God, why are you bringing it up again? And I think the answer to that is is kind of how sanctification works in our life. How when God brings us in the journey of making us more like Christ, that sometimes God will bring us back and say, go look at an issue that we've already addressed, but now I want to go deeper in that issue with you. I want to take you deeper to understand that issue more, to even root out anything in your life that might not be pleasing to God. And I think that's what God is doing in this chapter. He's saying to the Israelites, okay, you got started. You got started on putting me first. You got started on the temple, but now I want to raise the standard for you. I want to remind you of what the standard of the temple looked like, because that is your goal. That's what you're supposed to do. See, a biblical commentary called Exalting Jesus, it says conviction always occurs through clarity. And what God is doing to the Israelites now, he's bringing them more clarity on the issue that he had with He's bringing them more issue. He's bringing them more clarity on their sins so they understand their position with God and they also understand what they need to do. God reminds them of his standard of excellence that he has for them. But then in verse three, or then the following verse, God says to Zerubbabel, he says, be strong. God reminds him, says, you're not doing what you're supposed to do, but then after that he says, be strong. Why does God say be strong? Because God's bringing his grace to the Israelites. He's bringing not only His grace, but He's bringing them hope. When God brings conviction of sin, He always brings it with grace, and He brings it with hope. Because He knows the only way that we're going to ever be led to repentance is if we have the hope that only God can provide. So often, if we we look at conviction of sin, but if there's no hope, or there's no grace, it is not going to lead to Repentance. It's the goodness of God. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. And we're seeing in the book of Haggai that principle played out again, where God in his kindness is leading the Israelites to a deeper level of repentance. And then God continues in verse 4 after he gives them hope and he says, And now get to work, for I am with you. It's an interesting progression because now God is saying, Okay, you get right with me, I'm going to give you hope. And now get to work and do what I've called you to do. See, before we are able to change the world, we first need to understand our own sin. And once we understand our own sin and the grace that God has for us, we can get to work and do what God has called us to do. So it's an interesting progression that we see in the first five verses of Haggai, where God first comes in and he brings clarity of the situation to the Israelites. He shows them what's wrong and he shows them what he wants them to do. And the next god shows them he gives them his grace that's going to give them hope and going to give them encouragement and the hope is going to lead to their hearts being transformed and once their heart is transformed then they can do the work that god has called them to do and after they have the transformation of their heart and they're doing the work that god's called them to do god promises that he's going to be with them he offers his presence he offers offers his protection and he offers his provision because see, so often when we read scriptures like this, we, we, we forget the fact that God calls us to do the work that we need to do. I think a couple weeks ago, we celebrated Pentecost Sunday and we celebrate the power of the Holy Spirit getting poured out on the church and we celebrate that day and we like that day. But sometimes we forget the purpose of Pentecost Sunday is so the Holy Spirit resides in each of us so the power of God can work through us so we can reach out to other people. That the power of God is to work through us so we can be God's ambassadors to a broken world and we can be agents of reconciliation so that people would come to know the one true God. See, God's presence is in us so we can introduce other people to the kingdom of God. So how is God going to do this? You read Haggai chapter 2 verse 6 through 9 and we're going to see that God is going to do it by shaking things up. And I think that's one thing we can say about what's going on in the United States of America. And one thing that's going on in the world, everything seems like it's shaking right now. Everything seems really vulnerable right now. We're not sure which way situations are going to go right now. Everything feels like it's shaking. Listen to what Haggai says. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. In just a little while, I will again shake the heavens and the earth the oceans, and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and the treasures of all the nations will be brought to this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of Heaven's army. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. And in this place I will bring peace. I, the Lord of Heaven's army, have spoken. See, in chapter 6, God is saying through Haggai, I am going to shake everything. When God says he's going to shake everything, that is a sign of God's power. It's a sign of God's authority. It's a sign of God's sovereignty over the entire world, where God says, my purposes will be accomplished. I am in control of the world. I'm in control of the universe, and I will shake everything up so that my purposes may be accomplished. And we see in this little section of scripture that God's and his plan was that his temple would be filled with his glory that it would be better than the former temple and I just wonder if God has been shaking everything in us so we his his modern day temples can be stronger than ever before that God's presence in our life will be stronger than ever before because he wants us to be his ambassadors to a world that is broken to a world that is hurt and a world that's full of chaos And God wants to root out of our lives any inconsistency and anything in our life that doesn't measure up to the Word of God because we go jump down to Haggai uh, chapter chapter 2 verse 14 I'm, I'm skipping a little verse few verses because I need to move on but in in chapter 14 it says then Haggai responded that is how it is with the people of this nation says the Lord Everything they do and everything they offer is defiled by their sin. God's reminding the Israelites because of your sin, it not only separates you from God, but it defiles what you do. And that is why God has such an interest in restoring the Israelites, not just so his relationship with them is restored, so they can stop defiling whatever whatever their hands touch. And I think that's what God is working in us in America right now to stop Any defilement that might be in us that would affect other people and that's why there's such a central theme to the book of of Haggai about consider yourself in chapter one two different times the prophet says consider your ways consider what you're doing consider what your life looks like in chapter two two different times Haggai talks about considering your ways as well but that's such a big theme of the book of Haggai consider what you're doing how does what you're doing, how does that reflect your relationship with God? And how does that affect your affect your relationship with other people? Last week in our message, I talked to you a little bit about my process going through racism and examining my life over racism and prejudice and stereotypes. And I told you last week in my message, I've been asking God, am I part of the solution or am I part of the problem? I've been asking God, is there any racism in me? And when I got done with a message last week, I, I kind of stopped and I got done and I watched it with Becky and I, I, felt, I felt a little guilty. I, I felt, why did I say that? And I, I felt, I, I just didn't know. I had awkward feelings about why I said that. And I, I felt a little bit, um, I don't know what's the word, I felt just awkward that I said that. And so I started thinking about it and started examining, why am I feeling so awkward for, for just saying that I've been praying about where's my role and my part in racism? And as I thought about that a little more, I came to the conclusion that there's part of me that I was worried how God would answer me. There's part of me that I was worried, what if God said to me, yeah, you are part of the problem? Or if, what if God said to me, yeah, you yeah, there's part of you have some racism in you. What if God said to me that you, you, you have, you're guilty? I didn't want to hear that and so as I started to get honest with myself and started to talk to Becky about it I I realized a little bit more my hesitation to really sit quietly with God and really ask him am I part of the problem because I was afraid of how God would answer me for some reason in my own head I have elevated The sin of racism, the sin of being prejudiced or judgmental. I've raised that to a different category of sin that was just so wrong and so evil that I didn't didn't even want to talk about it. That's kind of unusual for me because other areas of my life, I understand my sin and my vulnerability towards sin and understand being in good accountability relationships where I'll I'll talk about my weaknesses or my vulnerabilities. But for some area of my life, when it came to talking about racism or prejudice, I didn't want want to talk about that. I'm going to leave that over here and just kind of ignore that area of my life, but just work on some other issues in my life. And so as I've been, been... as I began to talk about that with Becky, I felt more conviction from God that I really need to sit quietly with God and just, and just let him answer my questions for me. And to be honest with you, once I started to do that, it was, it was a little bit uncomfortable because God was quick to speak. He was quick to show me some of the issues in my life. But again, God always comes in with grace and he comes in with hope. And I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that God did point out to me that yeah, I, I can be part of the problem that I do have some racism, that I have some prejudice, that I have some wrong stereotypes. And so the last week, it's been a lot of reflection and a lot of prayer and asking forgiveness and repenting and and asking God to restore me. It's hard for me to talk about this right now because this is an area of my life that you, you don't want to really acknowledge that it really exists. But you know, as I was reflecting and praying about it, the lord began to kind of show me some areas of my life where a lot of racism and a lot of prejudice even started to come into my life see i grew up in the northwest side of grand rapids and it's interesting i grew up in the northwest side of the grand rapids in a dutch family and a christian reform family and for me growing up i thought the west side was divided into christian Reformed dutch and polish catholics to me there was only two people groups in Grand Rapids as a little kid. You're either Dutch or you're either Polish. And for some reason, us Dutch people, all the jokes that we told, the Polish people took the brunt of the joke. So I always kind of grew up with this little different view of Polish people. But I also grew up with a view that only Christian Reformed people would actually enter heaven. Somebody, when I was actually in the fourth grade, I asked somebody, a teacher, how do you get into heaven? And my response was you go to church. And I asked what church you go to, well, you have to go to a Christian Reformed church. Any other church was off limits. So I don't think I grew up so much with a prejudice or thinking I'm better than other people because of my skin color. I grew up with the idea that I'm better than other people because I am Dutch and because I go to a Christian Reformed church. And that even started as little as four, five, and six, but I think by fourth grade, that idea was pretty cemented in my head that if you were Dutch, you were better than anybody else. In fact, when I was a kid, there was a little phrase that people would say a lot, if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. And it sounds like a cute little phrase, but I think as a little child, I even kind of grew up kind of starting to think, yeah, that is true. Because I'm Dutch, I'm better than everybody else. And that's kind of a way that racism even got into my life of thinking I am a better race or I'm a better people group simply because of my ethnic orientation. And so my reflecting on that in my life has just kind of just been eye-opening to me to even see how these things that happened when I was a little kid have kind of even influenced me today. And fortunately, the grace of God is available to lead us to repentance and it's to lead us to forgiveness. So that's a little bit of my story of just kind of recognizing my participation in racism and prejudice. as I told you, I was talking to my wife Becky about this a lot, and so she has a totally different experience from growing up in LA. So I thought it'd be great if Becky would come up and share for a couple minutes on what was life like in LA and how did. Well, let me turn it over to my wonderful wife.
1: All right. Well, thank you, Jack. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for letting me come and share my uh, my experience as well. And. I'm grateful to have this opportunity because I get a chance to say to so many of you how much I've missed you throughout these last three months. And I'm very, very um, looking forward to a time when we can get back together again. And I'm hoping that we're going to have that announcement for you throughout this week. So, I'm looking forward to seeing you. And like Jack said, please pray for us in that. And so, I, I, again, I'm grateful for what Jack has just shared. I'm grateful for what he has been bringing out of, of Haggai and the book of Haggai. And I, I'm really grateful, particularly, for the part where he talks about the hope and the grace that is necessary in this hour and at this time as God has causing us to dig deeper. And Jack uh, related to you that he and I had a conversation last week after, his, after he got done preaching, and we began talking about what racism really looked like for us, were we part of the problem, were we part of the solution, And in that conversation, I came into that conversation with the full belief that I'm absolutely 100% not racist. I'm not part of the problem. And and I want to share a little bit of my background with you to let you know why it is that I felt this way. You see, I grew up in my entire growing up, I was actually part of the minority. Because as many of you know, I was born um, on the mission field and I was born a missionary kid in Bolivia. And in that situation, of course, I would have been in the minority. In fact, I can still picture my preschool picture with all these beautiful, indigenous, very dark-skinned Indian-looking children there, and there was the white, toe-headed kid sitting right in the middle, and it wasn't hard to pick out who that kid was. And that was uh, that was my experience while I was there, like I said, just part of the minority. And then. When I was uh, six years old, my parents moved from Bolivia to the greater Los Angeles area, Pasadena, California, which is a suburb of Los Angeles. And that is, a, that is a place where there is a tremendous amount of ethnic diversity. The street I grew up in, the area I grew up in, was definitely not a white neighborhood. It was a very diverse neighborhood. And the school that I went to was a very diverse school. I didn't grow up in the Christian school system. I grew up in the public school system in Los Angeles. That looks very different. Even that looks very different than it does in Grand Rapids. In fact, when I first started dating Jack and he brought me to Grand Rapids, I had a little bit of a culture shock because it, it, it is very white here. It is just, it's just it's just very, very white. In fact, it got to the place where I began making jokes with him and saying that the only diversity in his high school was that one brunette that they let in. Because in my high school, we were uh, only 18% Caucasian. But I wanna back up just a little further than that to let you know a little bit about my growing up. I, I, I know that people say, well, I'm colorblind, I don't see race, and, and some people don't like that phrase, but the fact of the matter is I actually was. Because when I was in fourth grade, uh, I was I would have been 10 years old at that time, um, I had a best friend, and my best friend came from my neighborhood. Her name was Rena. And Rena and I played together like fourth graders do. We were at each other's homes. We climbed trees together. I know that's hard to believe, but I did climb trees when I was ten. And we just we we had a good time together. And one day, uh, one of the other kids in my neighborhood came to me, and she asked, "Why do you play with Rena?" And I said, well, because she's my best friend and we have a good time together. And she said, but don't you realize that she's black? And I was stunned because the truth of the matter is I did not realize that she was black. It never occurred to me what the color of her skin was. See, when I grew up, and, 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 I, and, I, and, and I'm not talking about the black that was adopted by a white family either. I, I, I would go into her home with her black parents, and I never saw any of that it never even occurred to me or dawned on me until that day when I began to think, hmm, something might be a little bit different. But I wasn't even sure what. And the reason I wasn't sure why is because my growing up, um, my growing up was, my what my parents were very, very uh, much world minded and they had a world view of Christianity. They were missionaries even when they got home from the mission field, their, their heart beat with with the salvation of the lost. See, I was taught that every single human being is an image bearer of God, and if they are an image bearer of God, then God died for them, God loves them, you are no better than them. In fact, if you have the gospel within you, and if you know uh, the Lord, then you are to become a servant to the people who don't know him, regardless of race, gender, mental capacity, even regardless of what they may have done in their lives, that you were to be their servant in order to help them to come to know the gospel. And that was what our life was like. In fact, I, um, one, of the, one of the verses that I would say uh, was, was a heartbeat in our home was 2 Peter 3, 9. That says, the Lord is not slack in concerning his promise. That's talking about the Lord coming back again, Jesus coming for his second coming. That, and the people were beginning to think, is he, is, is, is he, why is he waiting? But it says here, because the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. But he is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The New Living Translation says, he does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. And that was the heartbeat of, of the home that I grew up in. And that was what um, what my parents kind of lived for. In fact, another theme verse in our home would have been the Great Commission, Matthew uh, 28, 19, and 20. This was so much a theme verse in our home, in fact, that my parents' license plate, my dad's, said Matthew 28, 19, and my mom's said Matthew twenty eight twenty. And that was the Great Commission of Jesus right before he uh, ascended into heaven. And it reads, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this, that I am with you always, even until the end of the age. So that that was my growing up experience. And, and like I say, I. I well I I don't know that I said this but the high school that I grew up in was only 18 percent Caucasian throughout my entire childhood I really was part of the minority we had uh, people from every part of the world was part of my high school in fact it wasn't just the different ethnicities in fact every single major religion of the world was also represented to some degree in my high school and my high school was actually a very tense time for me because um, because we would have a lot of racial tension. There were gangs in my school, and, there, and, the, and the black gangs were very, <clears throat> and the Mexican gangs had real bad blood between them. So us white people learned to shrink back and be very quiet and just kind of blend into the background. But when Jack and I were having this, so that was my, that's basically my background. So when Jack and I were having this conversation last Sunday, I came into that conversation saying, hey, I'm not racist. I'm not prejudiced, look at my background, this is how I live my life and this is what I believe. And yet as we were talking, I began to ask the Lord sincerely, is there anything in me? Is there anything in me that might be part of the problem? And I, I really felt as Jack and I were talking that something shifted in me in sixth grade. Remember in fourth grade, I didn't even realize that Rena was black. But by sixth grade, something began shifting in me that a fear began to rise up in me against African Americans every time I saw them. And I asked the Lord, not every time I saw them, but if I didn't know them, if, 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 if they were strangers to me. I have many black friends whom I love, but there's just this caution just beginning to meet them. And why would that possibly be? With my background and as jack and i were talking the lord brought something up to my mind and he reminded me and i do believe this was the lord that reminded me that when i was in sixth grade is the same time that that mini series roots came out and you may remember that mini roots is is the um is the story of of uh, of enslavement of black enslavement from the time that that uh, this uh, black man was abducted uh, while he was in Africa brought over to the United States enslaved and then just the story of the family going on and through the emancipation so as we were in class when I was in sixth grade uh, we we began to talk about roots we began to bring that up because it was a current event and one of the young black boys in my class started coming with this 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 enragement this just anger rose up anger unlike any I had ever seen before rose up in him and he began yelling I want to kill all white people and I remember the fear that grabbed a hold of me because I felt that someone really wanted to do me harm for no reason other than the color of my skin now that does not relate whatsoever to what it is that African Americans have at all suffered at the hands of others. But what that did in me at that moment was say there is such an enragement here that I could be in danger because they hate me simply because I'm white. And the Lord began showing me that that, that even though it was subconscious, even though it was something that I wasn't aware of on a day-to-day basis, that that incident in the sixth grade had begun to form the way that i looked at african americans it began to form the way that i approached uh, black people in the at at my very first meeting it it it, it caused me to want to shrink back rather than just be like i was in the fourth grade not even recognizing and as i began to repent of that before the lord because i realized this i realized i wasn't racist i'm not racist but i realized i was prejudiced because every time Not every time, but in a lot of situations when I would see an African-American person whom I didn't know, I would wonder, do they have that hatred for me? And if they have that hatred for me, there's just a distance, a little something between us. And so while I could say 100% I'm not racist, I could not say 100% that I wasn't prejudiced because that was coming up in, in all of my activities. Um, at least since that time so I began repenting for that this week I began and I'm so grateful that Jack and I began actually opening up that conversation and having it because now I understood something that I did not understand before and so I could go before the Lord and now begin to repent to the Lord for having treated his these beautiful fellow image bearers in that way with suspicion and with, and with wondering, did they mean me some harm before I ever even knew their names? And I don't believe that that's the way that the Lord has for us to deal with this. So I'm very grateful that we were able to open up that conversation and begin to look at that. And as I've repented throughout this week, my heart has begun really breaking in a whole new way for what is happening in our nation, what's happening throughout the world, what's happening uh, through this racism. And God is asking, is asking that we dig a little bit deeper. And, um, you know, I I do want to share that I don't, I don't have any ill will for that young boy in the sixth grade. He was just trying to deal with overwhelming emotions of what that mini-series depicted, of what happened to him. And this week, as I've been repenting of that, I've realized it's not up to me to say you have no right to feel that way. It's not up to me to say that, that, that you don't have this wound or that this wound happened so long ago, it shouldn't be affecting you anymore. That is not up to me to say. The wound is there, the wound is real. And so what it is up to me to say is, Lord, where am I part of this solution? And so as I have been thinking about this this week, The Lord has just brought something to mind that I want to share with you Finally as I as as I finish up my portion of this and um, And that is is that as the Holy Spirit has been challenging us uh, to dig deeper You know last week Jack said um, that a lot of us tend to say now. Well now is not the time. It's just too," but now is the time and so um, and so Last week he brought up the fact that this is not an issue of black versus white or of people group versus people group. In fact, it's a kingdom. It's an issue of the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of darkness. And um, right now we're debating these drastic measures in our society of how um, of how we might be re- even reforming certain systems and certain institutions. And we're looking for a drastic measure because it because this is a drastic problem and it takes a drastic measure to deal with a drastic problem but because but but this is as Jack was talking about uh, wanting the kingdom but not wanting the king that's a little bit of what's happening here in, in as I've been praying about this this week because it's wanting all of those it's 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 us trying to do what only Jesus can do and it occurred to me that we are trying to figure out these drastic measures because it's a drastic problem but that Jesus already took those drastic measures our king has already taken the drastic measures necessary because of because of through the cross and through Jesus and through and through what was done there He made a way for this reconciliation. That drastic measure is what we need to begin to begin appropriating. That's what I need to begin doing. So when I'm going back to God and I'm asking God, what is my solution? How am I to be part of this solution and no longer part of the problem? The Lord is just saying it's my heart that needs to change. And and, and that every time that I begin to feel that fearful prejudice begin to come up, that that's the opportunity for me to repent and that's the opportunity for him to invite for me to invite him back in to the core of my being to just deal with my heart because when he's dealing with my heart that's when I become part of the solution
0: hey thanks back I appreciate you so much sharing and for processing with me and we just want to share that with you because I think that's it's a a part of what God wants to do in our life right now because I think every one of us wants to be part of the solution but I think we need to be open and honest before God and let him convict us of anything in our life let him bring any clarity to any issues in our life so we can get right with God and I love what Beck said about Jesus already took the drastic measures that he paid the price so we can have reconciliation And I love the fact that what Jesus did when he did in in Haggai, what God led the Israelites through, he said, when you repent of your sins and when he gives you hope, he says, okay, get to work. And he says, my presence is going to be with you. That's the promise of God. When we are sincere about repenting, God's Holy Spirit comes with us and then he's going to lead us and he's going to show us what to do it's interesting how i'm in repenting this last week i feel so much more confident that i'm now part of the solution and i'm not exactly sure what god is going to have for me next but i just feel like just a weight's been taken off me and off becky that we just feel much more like much more like ready like we can do what he's called us to do we become aware of these these vulnerabilities in our life or the sin in our life so we can make sure we're aware so we can be repenting and i love and um and I think sometimes, you know, what we need to do, well, we am to read Haggai 10 verse 12. I love this verse where it says, plant the good seeds of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of love. Plow up the hard ground of your heart for now is a time to seek the Lord that he may come and shower righteousness with you. That is what God is doing in our lives right now. He's plowing up the hard ground of our hearts to root out anything in our heart that is not pleasing to him. Anything that our heart is that's defiling, and then he's planting seeds of righteousness. God's seeds of righteousness is reconciliation. So it's what reconciliates, it brings reconciliation to us and to God and to us and to other people. And I believe that what God is doing right now is He wants to plant seeds of righteousness in all of us that will plow up the hard ground in our life, that He may come and shower righteousness with us that we would have a harvest of love because that's the only way that we are going to defeat what's going on is a harvest of love. So God, I thank you for what you're doing in my life and from Becky's life. I thank you for what you're doing in Lake Effect Church. I thank you, Lord, that you are preparing us to emerge from this season, Lord, with more confidence, with more hope and more, with more boldness, ready to do the work that you've called us to do God, thank you for the work that you have in front of us. God, restore us to to being the image bearers that you have called us to be. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.